Good morning. My name is Spencer Bros, and I'm the lead pastor here at St. Stephen's Church, and it's a blessing to gather with you this morning, whether we're gathering in this space or you're joining us virtually. We're still gathering in the presence of God together. As Pastor Minu said, we are uh, coming toward the end of the season of Easter. And as we have been exploring the season of Easter, we have been exploring hope uh, in the midst of the realities of life as found in the book of 1 Peter, what we call 1 Peter. A letter written to a church in a difficult time in early Christianity where many suffered simply because of the fact that they followed Jesus. We turn to chapter 4 in that letter today. It's a few verses from chapter 4 and a few verses from chapter 5. We read these words from Peter to the church. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's suffering, so that you may also be glad, and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert like a roaring lion. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith. For you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And while you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last Friday, I had the privilege of giving the eulogy for a dear saint in my previous church. The current pastor invited me to be a part of her celebration of life service. And as we were preparing for the service, we were going through the, the music and different things that were happening, and because there was some recorded music, just so we knew when things were happening, where, and, and they were playing this song, and everybody in the room seemed to know this song. And we're talking about, oh, it's the meaning of this song, and I did not know this song. I was feeling left out until they got to the chorus. Have you ever done that with music? Like you're, you're hearing a song, you're like, I feel like I should know this song. And you don't know it until they either hit a, the end of a, of a verse or particularly the chorus of it because that's the centering part of the song. If it's a storytelling song, they're telling different parts of the story throughout, but the chorus brings you back to the central theme. Our lives have a chorus that we sing for the world. Some of you are like, I don't sing. Well, your life does. At least for the purposes of today's sermon, your life sings. How about that? Peter has been working diligently throughout this letter to help the people of this church or these churches, it could have been multiple churches in Asia Minor, come to terms with living their faith 
in the presence of suffering for their faith. Helping them to reframe the world, not through the lens of suffering, which they had been, but through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from which he encouraged them to find their hope, an eternal hope that is not circumstantial, is not dependent upon the events that surround them. I started thinking about that reframing or a different lens as rewriting the course. Because our lives have different verses at different times. Imagine a life, uh, a song that has uh, a refrain, a, a verse talking about some wonderful things and a, a verse that talks about some not so wonderful things and then a verse that talks about some even worse things. But in the chorus, Throughout it, there's a continuous praise to God in the midst of life circumstances. Many of the Psalms are written similarly. They may start with the hard circumstances, but they return to praising God in the midst of all of it. As we look at today's text, as we consider Peter's instructions to the church, I kept going back to this concept of rewriting our life's course. Particularly as I look at the the last verses, or verses six through nine. I'll share them with you again. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves, keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil prowls around you looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in the world, all the world, are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. In in those few verses, Paul gives us a little bit of instruction on how we, we shift the lens or we rewrite the course of our lives so that we don't see the world through that lens of suffering, in their case, or whatever challenges we might be carrying or burdens we might be carrying in our lives. To not see the lens through those things or not be identified by those things, continue to be informed by them and aware of them, but to see the world through a different lens, to sing a different chorus to the uh, the, to the verses of our lives. He starts in verse 6 of speaking of humility. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Sometimes it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to ask for help. We feel like we're supposed, we're supposed to be able to handle our stuff. We're supposed to be able to take care of it. And if we're not then we must be weak. It's hard to ask for help from human beings, and sometimes I think it's hard to ask for help from God for the same reason. Let me let you in on a little secret. Everybody in this room and everybody all around the world are weak in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes we are weaker than others. The person on your left and your right, front or behind, you don't have to look at them, just know they're there, have needed help in some way, shape, or form. May even need it right now. But it's still hard to ask for help. And it is humbling to do so. 
And sometimes we even feel like we should be able to handle the stuff that, that God asks us to do. The Bible is full of stories of God asking people to do stuff they had no business doing on their own until he helped them. That's how we live life. Humbly before God, seeking God's intervention and participation in our lives. Surrendering ourselves to the one who has created us and called us and sends us. Verse 7, Peter writes, cast your anxiety on God. Now, let me say this, too. These aren't all um, things that we're going to handle through spiritual practices. Some of these things need medical attention or at least some kind of licensed help or counseling. All of our anxieties and, and depressions or what have you just don't go away because we pray a little bit more. I believe God has gifted us blessings through spiritual practices, but also through medical science and those of psychology and counseling. There are times where those are beneficial, if not necessary. But walking around, all of us have times when we need to spend a little bit more intentional time rewriting that course of life, refocusing our lens. So when God says, cast our anxiety on him, that's not, a, that's not a cure-all for anxiety, is why I say that. However, there are lots of things that make us anxious that we can just say, God, I can't do this on my own. Carrie Underwood gets a lot of grief for that. Jesus takes the wheel song, but there's some truth in that. Sometimes we just need Jesus to take over for a little while. Verse 8, be disciplined in our faith. Attend to the things that help us to stay connected and grounded with God. Prayer, reading scripture, gathering and worship. These aren't optional things to go along with a, a warm, fuzzy experience of a loving God. These are things that help us to stay grounded to a loving God. So that we may indeed resist the devil in any form of evil that might encroach upon us. And then he ends that, this, that section with the sentence of finding strength in the knowledge that we are not alone. There's something comforting in knowing that we don't walk alone in our struggles. It doesn't fix them. But there's something comforting in knowing that those problems, while they are unique in its, their specifics to us, that they are not unique to the extent that there's something wrong with us, and this is why we're walking through this time of struggle and trial. We walk through them together. We're meant to walk through them together because in some way, shape, or form, there are others who are experiencing hardships. They may not even be the same ones, but we're experiencing them similarly, that we don't have to walk alone. And then God's response to that to our endurance of suffering, we read in verse 10, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. That word restore has a depth of meaning to say wholeness, to bring you back to wholeness, to fullness. It's the in the United Methodist denomination in our Wesleyan theology, it's the concept of perfection. It's not always getting things right all the time. 
It's about being fully completed in God's love. And that is always the lens you look through. We are called towards that. It's hard to live into it, but we ask God to do that, and God does get us closer and closer, and it's something we cannot do ourselves. The second word that Peter writes there is support, that he supports us. What's beautiful in the Greek is seeing the different um, ways this letter relates back to itself. Toward the beginning of this letter, Paul calls them the living stones. Not Paul, Peter. I've been trying for six weeks not to do that. I don't know if that's the first time, but it's the first time I've noticed. Called them living stones. That's in the text. And, and as we read this uh, to support us, in Greek it's more of a, of a builder's term of straightening. Supporting by lining up with the cornerstone, which is Christ, which again is from the earlier verses of this letter, to be in line with that. God aligns us to himself. That's the support there. And the running joke underneath all of this is that Peter writes this. Peter, whose name means rock. Writing to living stones about the cornerstone, being aligned to that, about the living stones being aligned to the cornerstone. To strengthen us, that's also about strengthening a form, like a building being put together, but holding us together and establish us. That word is really down deep in the Greek about a foundation, the foundation upon which the cornerstone is laid and the living stones are aligned. The God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three in one, are our foundation. As we focus our lens of life upon the God, through God's love, through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves restored, supported, strengthened, and established. Made whole, set straight, made stronger with God as our foundation. Putting a little bit more flesh on these, on these bones that Peter has laid before us of how we start to reframe uh, our focus, how do we swap the lens, how do we rewrite the course of our lives. It starts with God. It starts with considering the things of God, of the goodness of God in our lives. Taking a step back from the things that we have been focused on, from the chorus that we have been singing, and just take a moment to step back and look differently at things around us. And this is, this is helpful if you have some other spiritual disciplines that come alongside of this. For me, I find journaling helps a lot because it's a place to write down where I am, what I'm thinking, and then it helps me keep track of those things too. Some people do the, can do this solely through meditation and prayer. I need all of that. I need all the help. Whatever, whatever's at my disposal, journaling, prayer, meditation, all of those things coming together. But starting with God, considering the things of God, and that does start with some intentional time in quiet, silence, letting God speak to you in the midst of it. Let your mind uh, follow to the things of God, to the goodness of God. Exploring scripture, looking at the stories of scripture, Reminding of God's goodness. Focusing on what is right and what is good. 
And the more we do that, the more that the things that are broken and hard lose power to define our lives, to write that chorus of our life song. And as we focus on the things that are good, writing them in our journals or um, holding them in thought, then returning them to God. God, you are so good. You, thank you for all the things, but name them. Name stuff. Name stuff you think is ridiculous to name. Name it. Say it. And if you and if you and that there's more power in saying these things out loud. And if you don't want to say them out loud in front of people, go. That's go somewhere else. Say them out loud. Even if you just say them out loud in a whisper, there's something real about making it come out from the between our two ears through our mouths. Return them to God in praise. And as you focus on the good things of God and God's greatness and goodness, then take a look again at the situations, acknowledging those things. And also, while you're reflecting on the goodness of God, if you're, if you're journaling or even if you're praying and meditating, make note of those things that they pop in. Don't push them aside. Make note of them. Acknowledge that they're there. You know, like a kid just wants your attention and they keep pecking at you. They, and, and you try to ignore them and you can't. You acknowledge them and you, it gives them some instruction of what to do while you're waiting, and then you come back to them. No, I'm not saying they're not going to come back to you. However, those stray thoughts in our minds have a way of doing that. If they're pecking at us, acknowledge them. Set them aside. Say, I'm going to get back to you later. If you're journaling, write them in the margins of your journal and come back to them later because then those things come back up in our time with God. As we return those to God, to God, I need help with these things. I can't do it on my own. And invite God into each of those burdens or fears or anxieties or concerns or challenges or whatever way you want to describe them or think of them. And in doing so, you not only deal with those things, but you strengthen your relationship with God. Anytime you spend time with somebody else, you strengthen that relationship. Prayer is where we strengthen our relationship, one of the places where we strengthen our relationship with God. And as we look at our lives and the circumstances and the, and the sufferings and the challenges that we may be encountering, to lean into them a little bit to see if there's a lesson there, to see if there's a lesson there. God doesn't give us stuff so that we can learn a lesson, but God gives us a way to learn from the challenges we go through. The world throws enough challenges at us. God gives us opportunities to learn and grow in those. Bishop Yongjin Cho had been our, was our bishop a number of years back. Before that, he was the pastor of the Greater Washington uh, Church nearby. And, he, uh, and this is a summary of, of, of what he would say about our spiritual growth. If you want a nice and easy, um, shallow-sloped path of Christian growth, avoid every suffering and challenge that you might encounter throughout life. It'll happen, but it'll be slow if you're dedicated to the other things. But if you really want to grow in the faith, to lean in to your sufferings and see what God's doing in the midst of that, what lessons you can learn, how it can strengthen your faith, and you will grow. But that also comes with attending to those things, those foundation things of our faith that help us to stay connected to God 
of worship and prayer and, and reading scripture, alongside of the power of the gift of Christ to us, the church, which is us, the church. He gave us each other. He gave us each other. To knowing that you do have a community, you do have people around you, there, are, there, is, there, are, there is help nearby. We don't have to do any of that alone. We're not called to do that. We're not made to do any of that alone. We're made to face life's challenges in community. And then to take all of that and revisit our story. Okay, God, this is, this is you and your goodness. This is me and the challenge that I'm going through. These are the people around me that you've placed. Okay, so now, okay, what is going right? I've acknowledged what's not going well or going horribly. What's going well? What's good? What's good around me? What good are other people doing around me? Where is there help and healing happening around me? Where is there hope being rekindled around me? I see evidence of your work there, Lord. Help me to, to see it even more. Point it out to me. And then to name those things within your own self that are indeed going right, in your own self, where you have been have opportunity to join alongside other folks in that, in that healing, in that giving, extending hope of, of taking care of those who are in need around us and put your faith into action. It's not being busy so that you're not paying attention to your suffering or your challenges or your obstacles or your problems. It's putting your faith into action because that's what we're meant to do. Putting our faith into action and then the hope that is within us, as was in last week's scripture, we make an accounting of it. We reveal it to the world. We share it and we show it. And our lives become a beacon of hope. We might still be a mess. There might still be a mess around us anyway. We're not the mess. There's a mess around us, but we are still children of God, empowered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We might still be in the midst of a mess, but we can help. We can extend hope. And we can rewrite the course of our lives so that when others hear that song, they may, not, they may know the hard verses in our life song, but they hear the refrain of praising God in the midst of life's hardships, of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that is continuously extended to all and is available to all as we receive it. However we are experiencing life right now, whether it's good, bad, and different, it's probably usually, from, my, from the way I experience life, it's usually all the things Mixed up in one. There's good, there's bad, and there's in between, and there's stuff that's just routine. God's in the midst of all of it. Acknowledge God's presence in the midst of all of it. But don't let all the hard stuff define us and be the chorus of our lives. Welcome God in and write that chorus with God, proclaiming his goodness that Jesus is raised from the dead, that has indeed, he has indeed ascended and lives and reigns at God's right hand, God the Father's right hand even now. And may our life's song be a beacon of hope and light and life for others. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son, of his life, death, 
and resurrection, the gift that continues to bless and empower. His resurrection is more than a story that inspires us. It is a story that empowers us because of life coming out of death, goodness coming out of badness, hope coming out of despair. May our lives sing that song, proclaim that chorus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.